You're listening to the Super Talk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello and welcome to Super Talk. My name is Mel Burks and I'm the General Manager of Advocacy with AIST. Today we'll be discussing carbon reduction and climate risks and joining me is Dr Wilma de Groot, Head of the Quantitative Equities Portfolio Management Team at Roby Co. Welcome Wilma. Thank you. Just before we start into the, more, the detail, could you just remind us all why climate risk and carbon reduction should be an area of focus for investors? Yeah, we all uh, aim together, of course, to fight the global global warming. It's a very broad topic. Uh, also, we see that regulation is worldwide is putting more and more uh, emphasis on this. And uh, corporates, they have a very important influence on these carbon emissions, obviously, and therefore also investors, huh? because investors can actually influence these uh, companies uh, in, in their policies, for example, by voting and engagement. So without having influence on these companies, um, it's also difficult to uh, yeah, ensure that the uh, carbon emissions will be further reduced. And I assume just fundamentally it makes good financial sense to be interested in these areas, yes? Uh, definitely, because it's all about the future and about the growth of these companies. So there's a direct link in terms of investments, obviously, yeah. Fantastic. So what do you think the key challenges are of Australian investors who want to address climate risk in their portfolios? Yeah, we see that uh, the world is changing in this area of sustainability and actually quite rapidly. Um, Europe being at the forefront, Canada as well, but actually Australia following soon. And yeah, also the rest of the world is making progress. Um, And yeah, in working on the daily basis with our investors um, on how to address climate uh, change in their strategies, we see a few common questions arising. And most dominantly, it's the question on, you know, how to combat climate risk while respecting other risk and return objectives, uh, the financial objectives at the same time. Um, What we see is that often investors, they would like to address these climate uh, concerns, but they think it's difficult to take large deviations from the benchmark or to choose for completely different frameworks, such as a different index, right, the sustainability index. And especially uh, also because these sustainability beliefs, these EHG beliefs, they can change so often. And this is, of course, a valid point. Um, the good thing the good thing is uh, that I think that investors don't have to choose. They can go for both. So reducing these climate emissions of their portfolio, while at the same time staying close to the benchmark. That's interesting. So if you had to say how you go about reducing climate emissions in portfolios, what things can be done? Yeah, so with respect to um, addressing this in portfolios, this depends very much on the exact objective of the investor in this area, uh, but also on other objectives, like other sustainability objectives, uh, risk and return objectives. And there are several ways um, that can lead to um, a reduced carbon scenario. Uh, and therefore, there are also different methods available. Huh? You can think about exclusions, uh, for example, excluding the high polluters from your portfolio. You can steer directly on carbon emissions and therefore also giving higher weight to the companies that have low emissions. Uh, you can think about using sustain, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, sustainable development goals, especially those uh, related to climate uh, or um, yeah, voting and engagement. And what we do is we always start with an extensive conversation with the investor. 
and then dynamically show the impact of each of the choices. So what happens with risk or return if we reduce the carbon emissions of the portfolios or what happens if um, a set of companies are excluded? And uh, to do that, we have developed special in-house uh, tooling to address these questions. And that basically um, we build portfolios on the spot during live demonstrations with our investors. And we evaluate based on an extensive range of both financial as well as sustainability criteria, um, yeah, the, the impact. And this gives insight in the range of options to achieve particular objectives. And we see this works very well to, yeah, to come to a certain solutions. Um, yeah, and based on these analysis, we also see some kind of common denominator of what's often used in this area of carbon and what's, uh, and that's a combination of uh, climate-based exclusions. Uh, we often see up to 50% carbon reduction and that can be with or without a glide path uh, into the future. Uh, we often see limited tracking error of around 1%, but this can also be somewhat lower or higher depending on the, um, yeah, the other uh, objectives that might also play a role in develop in building the portfolio and also engagement. And that's reflected also, we, we reflect that in the portfolio uh, positions. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what's also good to emphasize is that carbon reduction can also easily be combined with other sustainable uh, sustainability dimensions. Um, it's not that it's only one thing you can easily combine. It's also in terms of our tooling, it's multidimensional. Um, yeah, and I think finally, uh, yeah, besides let's say our philosophy that develop, uh, to develop customized ESG portfolios, it's just as important uh, is the question, you know, how to ensure that this portfolio is future proof. So we also think that it's important to do this type of analysis uh, periodically, for example, when beliefs of investor change or when objectives change. And that, ha that happens quite often in this area of sustainability because it's so dynamic. Mm -hmm. And then it can easily be investigated what the impact would be on the final portfolio. So basically this way we, we have, yeah, we play basically the role of consultant and manager in one uh, to guide um, investors towards, um, yeah, through this process. So you've outlined there a number of approach uh, things that you take into consideration in that approach. Is it in itself sufficient to address the climate risk in the portfolios? Yeah, this is this is of course a very important question, and and honestly, um, not completely. Uh, so we can of course create these low carbon portfolios, also with many other ESG aspects. However, yeah, this won't have immediate impact in uh, reducing global warming. Um, however, there is another area where we and also our investors can make impact, and that is to ensure that, you know, voice and engagement is used to change management. So that is also an area where we uh, actively play a role and also good, of course, for Australian investors to act on. Um, yeah, I think that voting and engagement, they basically have become the, the center stage in the management of the portfolio instead of, you know, really separate decisions. And in our portfolios, is what we do is that we assign uh, the companies that are under scrutiny, scrutiny, we assign them with a lower weight in the portfolio to basically push management to action. And if the engagement fails, then we'll also discuss, we, we will consider exclusion of, uh, yeah, of these type of stocks.
Okay, so you give them a chance to improve, but if that's not yes. seen, then the next step is actually to exclude them from the portfolio. Um, exactly. I know that you recently wrote a paper which was published this month in the Journal of Impact and ESG Investing on voting, and you showed that there are many large and passive managers that don't, as you say, walk the walk, um, as your paper is titled. Can you talk me through the results and what you saw and what the population was that you looked at in that study? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so uh, we think that proxy voting is a very powerful tool for shareholders to really steer these corporate agendas towards um, sustainability-focused decision-making. And uh, yeah, our research covers a decade of uh, U.S. shareholder voting. Uh, so we look at the largest uh, 50 asset managers in the U.S. The reason to look at the U.S. is because in the U.S. it's mandatory to record, uh, you know, how managers vote uh, on all the proposals. So therefore, we have a very nice data set. And of course, we hope that, you know, this will be extended also to the rest of the world. And uh, yeah, the study reveals actually that, uh, well, first of all, uh, the number of environmental and social proposals, uh, they haven't really increased in the past decade, which is interesting because, of course, the whole topic of climate and sustainability has got more attention and uh, more attention. And, um, yeah, we see that uh, despite this increased attention, in general, asset managers vote against these type of proposals. Um, we do see a somewhat improvement, uh, somewhat increase in uh, voting uh, in favor of these proposals for the more mid and smaller cap managers, but especially the larger and the more passive players, we see that they have voted much more often against these type of proposals. And yeah, that's of course um, an interesting finding, uh, but maybe also a worrying finding. Yeah, so based on that, what do you think the barriers are for those asset owners which are preventing them from you know, walking the walk? And what do you think can be done to address that? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's um, probably money um, because uh, teams to set up, um, yeah, if, if you want to do this dedicated, you, you, you know, you need to go through all these um, uh, proposals uh, very accurately to go through that and setting up teams costs obviously money. You, you need to set up a dedicated voting and engagement organization. You need to develop policies on how you want to vote. Um, so, yeah, basically, it, I would say it depends on the fiduciary duty of the asset manager. Um, you know, it's not only focused on profit maximization here, but also on well-being. And, yeah, if, you know, the focus is also on the well-being part, then I think asset managers are prepared to invest in this. So I think for investors, it's also a good check, uh, you know, if, if, an, if an asset manager claims to be green, ask mm -hmm. for the voting records, right? Check how it's reported. Ask for the size of voting departments, Um uh, you know, to see how much dedication there is. It's, we also looked, that might also be a nice addition here to mention, we also looked at the type of proposals because you can also, you know, wonder how drastic are these proposals that are, um, uh, that you can vote for. And we have seen that around 50% of these proposals, they're just related to transparency, right? It's just an, a, a requirement for management of these companies to be more transparent. And that is, I think, a very easy one to address, right? It doesn't cost the management much time or money. It just, you know, be more transparent. And then of the other 50%, uh, roughly half of that, so a quarter in total, are just minor minor changes, right, um, uh, of the, the, the processes of companies. So I think that's also no problem to, you know, vote in favor of those. There's only 25% of the 
votes that of the proposals that is quite drastic. Eh? You know, if you ask an oil company to stop drilling for oil, mm. you know, that's very drastic. You know, you can imagine that there won't be a majority in favor of that. But I think that's only a quarter uh, of all the proposals is, is quite drastic. And the other 75%, um, you know, in our opinion, uh, it's not easy. It's it's very easy actually to vote in favor of these. And did you um, see a difference in the way people voted on, as you've just classified them, sort of seventy five percent, which are pretty straightforward and not too dramatic? Did you see a difference in how they were voted on versus the twenty five percent, which were more substantial? Yeah, we see the um, yeah we see that if you split this, that especially indeed uh, for these twenty five percent more um, yeah drastic proposals, the the voting in favor is is low, uh, but for the transparency, it's relatively high. But still, you know, in overall, uh, it's still less than 50% that is voted in favor of these proposals. So that is really something to you know, that I think uh, would be good to change. And I'm interested in your thoughts because it's when you're talking about the kind of the resourcing needed to do this, it's actually the large companies that were less likely, exactly. which is interesting because you would think they would be better resourced to do so. So what do you think drives the behaviour that makes it the larger companies even less inclined to vote for these than perhaps the mid-sized ones that you observe. Yeah. Yeah, we were also quite surprised on this, especially the larger managers. What we see that often many of the, the largest managers um, are also passive managers, and they have, of course, a very much focus on costs. So that could be a reason, right, that if yeah you want to focus on this, you want to invest in this, then costs will go up, which might be conflicting with the concept of passive and cheap. Um, on the other hand, what might also be a reason is that because these larger managers are really large, they can have also the decisive vote uh, in these type of proposals that might make them a bit more reluctant to vote in favor because they have this uh, decisive vote. Although, yeah, like I said, if you look at the type of proposals, you know, I don't think that should be a barrier, but I think it could be uh, on paper a barrier. Yeah. Mm. So interested in your thoughts about what are the consequences if this voting behaviour doesn't change, if we just see this this trend continuing where there's a lack of engagement by sounds of things on many of these proposals? How, what do you think the end consequence of that is? Yeah, I think in the, in the most extreme case, it will then be very difficult to address the climate problem uh, because if, they, if these type of resolutions don't get support, uh, and they often come from shareholders, not from management, um, so if they don't get support, then it's very difficult to let management make changes so there won't be any action um and uh yeah so there needs to be a change in the boardroom basically to address these concerns this is also exactly the point where investors have direct impact so yeah the in the most extreme case uh, you know nothing changes mm, and i guess ultimately nothing changing actually puts those companies at risk in the longer term i would think Yes, definitely, because uh, you know this. We we want change, and we need change. So that need this needs to be addressed, uh, you know, better sooner than later. So I think the the type of portfolios, um, you know, they can be can have very much passive like of characteristics, but in terms of uh, shareholder, um, you know, actions, that needs to be very active. Mm-hmm. Interested. So from your perspective. How do you look at the fo- the future of core climate proof investing? Yeah, so what we see is that right now we live in this age of passive investing, right? Buying an index portfolio, basically let the market sort out itself. You can quite 
quite much lean backwards. Uh, but we're now also entering this age of sustainability investors where yeah, like we also just addressed, investors cannot stand by passively, but they have to turn active to combat climate change. And yeah, if you combine the two, so the world of passive investing and sustainability investing, then yeah, I think we will see that we need to use both advantages to you know to address climate change. And that mean, basically means you can have a large core portfolio at low cost and relatively low risk, but that's highly active in addressing climate change. So you can have a portfolio that, you know, mimics a passive portfolio when you talk about core characteristics and also in terms of fees, but very active in terms of, you know, lowering the um, carbon emissions of the portfolio. And that can be that can be joined together quite, you know, we think that can be done uh, uh, relatively easily. Um, and also it's it will, won't be longer a one size fits all approach because every plan um you know, at, at this stage, we see that every plan basically, you know, we copy the MSCI World Ex-Australian Index and then, you know, deliver the same uh, package. But in the future, we think, you know, it will be highly customized and the sustainability demands of the different uh, plans will be reflected uh, and it will have unique sustainability. Uh, the, it will reflect the unique sustainability values of the plan while still being low cost and, of course, low risk, because that's also important. Yeah, and finally, we also address that uh, actively engage with company that will be very important in the future. Really use the voice that investors have and exit if the voice doesn't do a job. Mm. I think that I, I just have one last question for you, which is about what is would your call to action be for Australian super funds who are large institutional investors who want to address carbon reduction and climate risks? You know, just talk to, uh, you know, your consultant or your manager on how to best address these, uh, you know, how to lower the carbon emission of your portfolio while not necessarily having too much impact on your risk return profile. And we think this is possible in different ways, right? There's not one way. Uh, search for the way that really fits with the um, objectives that you have, you know, as your plan. And at the same time, I would really encourage the investors to think about, you know, the voting and engagement policy, how that's being done now and try to challenge it. Is it enough? You know, can you do more to really put your vote, uh, your voice to action here? That's all for this episode of Super Talk. Thanks to Dr. Wilma de Groot from Roby Co for joining us today. For more episodes of Super Talk and for more information on the work of the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, visit our website aist.asn.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast.